We're going to be in the book of Judges tonight, the sixth chapter. If you have your Bibles, you would turn with me. Judges chapter number six. I was happy to hear a few people tonight clearing their throat and coughing. I've had a little bit of my allergies or a little bit in the way of uh, the sinuses, but I've been hesitantly coughing a little recently. It's kind of a scary thing. We're living in a day where it's practically legal to cough. And so it was good to see I wasn't the only one. <clears throat> so if you, if you need a cough tonight, feel free. It make, might make me feel a little better in a little while. Judges chapter 6. Most of you are aware that this chapter is the first introduction we find to the man Gideon, a judge known or sometimes called a deliverer in the book of Judges. Yeah, that's you, Gideon. We have a Gideon among us who was pretty excited about it. This Gideon would famously defeat this powerful nation known as the Midianites, the nation of Midian. And he would do it without an instrument of war and practically a depleted army. But there was much that led up to this defeat of the Midianites by Gideon, this, this mighty move of God and this using of this man Gideon. <clears throat> As we look at the, the context of the book of Judges, we can relate. Often in the book of Judges, we find the phrase that men just did what was right in their own eyes. They had no law. They had no desire for the things of God much of the time. We see the similar circumstances as Israel was being persecuted and restricted by the Midianites. We find that man all around us finds himself in the chains and enslaved to sin. We see the the abuse and the drunkenness and the uh, addictions. And just everywhere you look, you see this, this onslaught of man in their depravity. And it seems like maybe it's not more than it's ever been, but it's more obvious maybe than it's ever been. It's good to know just as introduction, that first of all, Christ is our deliverer tonight. We have a deliverer from sin. If you're here tonight and you feel trapped in sin, and you feel trapped in the bondage of sin, there is a way out, there is a deliverer, and it's not in a thing, it's in a person, it's Christ. We also, as we, as we begin this journey of, as a disciple or as a Christian, we find that God calls us to be deliverers, just like he called Gideon. No, we're not the, we don't do the work of the deliverer, Christ, but we work for the deliverer. We, we invite people to the Savior, that they too might be reached from their sin and unto the freedom of Christ, as Brother Jedediah mentioned just a moment ago in that song. And then we find there's requirements to achieve this deliverance. There are steps to follow. There are, God, God often just, and very plainly, we'll look at this in just a moment from the scripture. But he gives us some guidelines that lead up to a place where Gideon is able to be used of God. And we see method, we see order, we see instructions all throughout scripture that lead us up to a place of usefulness. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're not going to read a text, and so we're just going to pray as we begin, and then we'll take the word of God and Look at Judges chapter 6. Father, we thank you for the scripture, how it teaches us and instructs us. And Lord, we pray that your law would give us light tonight. 
I pray that you would open our eyes of understanding that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law, that you might work in our hearts tonight. We trust you will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, look in verse number 7 of chapter 6. And as I said, we're just going to jump right into things. Someone told me they'd give me $20 tonight if I kept it short. And so I'm going to do that. I'll do about anything for $20. Verse number 7 says, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, uh, from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. As was said a moment ago, frequently when we say what we want to say, we usually say the wrong things. If you were to ask me what would God say to this nation who had forsaken him who found themselves in a bit of distress, what would be the first thing that God tells them? I wouldn't have thought this. But he reminds them of his goodness. We see, first of all, in this, this line of deliverance or these directions to deliverance, we see, first of all, God's goodness. We see how he delivered them, how he led them, and how he preserved them. He reminds them before he says anything about their sin before he says anything about their uh, departure from the truth, before he gives them any uh, commitment or promise to deliver them, he reminds them of his generation uh, upon generation of goodness that he's shown them. I'm reminded of what David writes in Psalm 40, verse 2, when he talks about this same deliverance. He says, He brought me up also out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. <clears throat> And he has put a new song in my mouth. David is able to rejoice of the deliverance that God had shown him and the goodness that God had, the good things that God had done for him. Why, why would you think that David was so faithful? Why was he a man after God's own heart? He reminds himself all throughout the Psalms of just how good God is. Here God begins to remind his people, you're, you're in a place of bondage, you're in a place of distress, you're crying out to me. But can I remind you that for generations gone by, I've loved you, I've, I've stayed by you, I've been faithful to you. I think of in what Jeremiah says in Lamentation 3, verse 22. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And then about those compassions, he says, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Aren't you glad we serve a God who's good? You know, so many people want to put God in this, this category of just this, this angry um, man who wants to expose sin and judge sin and destroy sin. And there is a, uh, pastor talked about this Sunday night, the jealousy of God. He, he's jealous of his people. He's jealous of his name. He's holy. He's righteous. He is just, but he's also good. Paul reminds us of this in the New Testament, speaking to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 2 and verse 4 and 5, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. You know, he doesn't hold this over their head. He doesn't accuse them of anything. 
But it would have been very easy for God to say, I've given you so much, you've forsaken me and forsaken me and forsaken me, enough's enough. Now, he doesn't say that, but, you know, in my mind, he could have easily and justly done so. But he reminds them, you, you who are struggling in your, your iniquities, you're struggling with not only your sin, but now the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the enemy who I've allowed to come in and destroy you, the fear you're under, the yoke of burdens and bondage you're under. He said, remember, I've been good to you for a long time. So he talks about his goodness. When we fail to see God's goodness... We often struggle to embrace God's will. How, how are we going to believe in a God who we don't really believe is good? How are we going to serve faithfully a God who we're not sure if he's good or not? Well, if you look at the word of God, it declares that he's a good God. If you look at your life and you look at the blessings that we enjoy, you can remind yourselves easily that God is a good God. So often we focus on the problems, we focus on the negativity of life, but if we were to step back and do as the songwriter says and count your many blessings and name them one by one, you would find very hurriedly that God's done very many good things for us. God is good. Prior to, as we'll read in a minute, the angel's proclamation and now hear the prophet's message of reproof, God reminds his people of his faithful goodness. And look at this next verse, verse number <clears throat> 10, he says, And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. We see, first of all, God's goodness, and then it leads us into God's commandments. Look back in chapter number 2 of Judges. Verse number 1, it says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made... You to go up out of Egypt, we're in chapter 2, verse 1 of Judges. And I, I swear unto, you, unto your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. Look at this last phrase in verse 2. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Then look over in verse number 18 of the same chapter. It says, And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge... And delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers. And following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And then that next chapter, chapter number Three In verse number 6, we basically see the same thing. And they took their... Um, this is talking about... Back up to verse 5. It says, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And then it says, And they took their daughters to their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. We basically find the same thing in verse number 12 when it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Which leads us up to chapter 6 and verse number 1. And the same old message, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
We find this is a people that refused to follow the commandments of God. They just continue to depart from the faith. But after we establish the fact that God is good, it can easily be said that his commandments also are good. See, if we're serving a good God, if we've established the fact that God is good, and if you haven't established that in your mind and heart, get in the word of God because we serve a good God. He's a just God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's outstretched his arms to you when he put his son upon the cross and invited you to salvation and freedom from sin and ultimately heaven. And in his goodness, he then gives commands. But his commands, likewise, are good. There's a great danger when we depart from the word of God. This is, that's what these people were doing. They were, they were leaving the commandments of God in their pride and in their lust. It led them from the Lord, but it led them, when it led them away from the Lord, it led them straight to the enemy. I read the other day on a church marquee, I was happy to see, for one, a, a news phrase that was on a, on a church sign. You, you tend to see the same old ones year after year. And it was, so it was halfway original, and it was actually useful. It said, the closer we are to the shepherd, the further we are from the wolves. Isn't that true as it applies to shepherding sheep? If the sheep want to stay away from the wolves, all they got to do is get around the shepherd. As a believer, if you want to stay away from the dangers of this life, the wolves of this life, if you want to stay away from sin, if you want to stay away from temptation, if you want to stay away from the, the damage that evil can do, just get close to the shepherd. Get close to Christ. His commandments are good. You're familiar with the final phrase in Proverbs 13, 15, where it says, the way of the transgressor is hard. Those that transgress the word of God find life becomes much harder for them. Isaiah 48, 22, God is speaking to the nation and he says, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Where I think we get the phrase, there is no rest for the wicked, somewhat of a mixing up of words. But there is no rest for the wicked, but there's no peace for the wicked, as God says. And then John mentions it again in 1 John 5, 3, when he says his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. The commands of God, sometimes we think, you know, it's all about these rules and these regulations, and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. But one of our problems is we fail to realize the goodness of God. Once we've established that, we find these, these rules are not just to keep us from good things as Satan tempted Adam and Eve with and as Satan will tempt us with, but instead those rules are there to keep us from harm. Just like you've placed rules and guidelines for your children, not because you dislike them, not because you want them to have a miserable life, though sometimes children think that way. Sometimes maybe you want them to think that way. But no, it's not for that reason. Instead, it's because you know there are dangers out there you know there are pitfalls, there are temptations, there are decisions that probably you made that you know you regret decades later, that you don't want them to make the same mistakes, so you put these boundaries on them, these restrictions, not out of anger, but out of love, out of goodness. We see that God's good, His, His goodness is exposed. We then look at God's command, and then look down in verse number 11, it says, And there came an angel of the Lord and had sat under an oak tree, which is in Ophrah, or Oprah, depending on who you are, that pertaineth unto Joash, 
The Abai Ezrite and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Before we read verse 12, sometimes he gets a bad rap for hiding his wheat from the Midianites, as if he's this big-time coward. But if you read the first few verses of chapter 6, you, you, you find the whole nation is terrified because these Midianites are, they said they're without number. There's so many of them, they couldn't count them. They're burning their fields. They're stealing their, their harvest, their, their crops. They're killing their livestock. And Gideon finally gets a, somehow, you know, gets a harvest without them stealing it. And now he's got one more job, and that's to thresh the wheat to separate it from the husks that he might put it into store. And so he's doing it secretively so that uh, the Midianites don't take it from him. And then in verse number 12 we see, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Thirdly, we come to this point, and that is God's perspective. See, God saw something in Gideon that Gideon failed to see in himself. And I think if we were to ask the people around him, the people would have failed to see this too. No one around Gideon, nor Gideon himself, thought that he was a mighty man of valor. Indeed, he is fearful. Indeed, he does feel like he's um, being mistreated and abused. The whole nation had been being abused. They were under tribute. They, they, they were forced into labor. They were forced to give up their crops and their their, good, their goods and, and they're being killed and they're being tortured and, and all these travesties are going on around them. And here God sends an angel to tell Gideon that in God's eyes, he's a mighty man of valor. You remember that Gideon was a part of this God-forsaken nation. He was living in the same generation that had forsaken God. We know that his, his, his uh, family members, his his neighbors, they were involved in idol worship. It's possible that Gideon was a part of the same thing. But God's nature, which is good, and his commandments that are good, also viewed Gideon in a good way. Now, was he going to deal with his sin? Absolutely. Was he going to deal with the nation's sin? For sure. But even in their sin, even in their backslidden state, God comes to Gideon and he says, I want to use you. I see something in you that you failed to see in yourself. Before Gideon could ever take those 300 men with those torches and those lamps and those, those uh, trumpets and defeat a Midian army without any swords or spears or warfare, God had to bring him to a place where he saw something different in himself than he had seen prior to this. He had to see that God was able to use him, that God wanted to use him. He had to see not his perspective, not the nation's perspective, but God's perspective. Sometimes we fail, just even in our daily Christian life, we talk about wanting to please God and wanting to serve God, but we never take the time to put ourselves in a place where we're able to see things as God sees them. I was talking to our, some of our young men the other day, and I asked them if they'd ever heard the expression... You couldn't see the forest in spite of the trees or because of the trees. Apparently, that's not a popular saying anymore because they'd never heard of it. <laughs> but I said, you know, sometimes we, we use that phrase to describe there, there's something out there we want to see, but we, we're unable to see it. There's things, we feel like there's things in our way, but really what, we're, what, what, what seems to be in our way is what we need to be looking at. 
There are things that God wants us to view and in a way he wants us to view them. And sometimes we fail to get a glimpse of what God's seeing. Have you ever thought when God sees your neighbors what he sees? Sometimes I know what I see. When we see someone who mistreats us or is rude to us, you know, the fast food worker who takes too much time to make our meal, or the most truck drivers, if there were truck drivers, they'd understand this, but the truck driver who sits in the fuel island when you're behind him and he's done pumping his fuel, but he takes 10 minutes to pull forward. That guy, for the sites, knows what I'm talking about. I experienced that today. There's no reason he was sitting there except he was probably clocked out for his lunch in the fuel island. And he didn't want to move his truck, so they clock him back in. And me and my, my humanity wants to be angry and gripe and, and make a scene, you know, and go knock on his door. But I, there was two of them and only one of me, so I, I didn't do it. Um, but you wonder, what, what does God see in these people? Does God look down on them and say, what a jerk, I can't stand you and push you aside? As if somehow I'm better in God's eyes? No, I think he sees them in, as a sinner in need of a savior. When we see church members and sometimes we think, man, why don't you just get, get your act together? Why, we see young people and we say, when, when are you ever going to grow up? How does God see them though? How, how, what, what viewpoint has God taken already on them? And by the way, sometimes we need to really step outside of our, our vision and say, how does God see me? How does God see you? What is he looking... When he looks at me, what is he expecting versus what am I expecting? Gideon wasn't expecting anything out of himself except to hide, to hunker down, and hope one day the Midianites would either just somehow vanish from the scene or someone would come in and be the superhero and save the day. But instead, God looked at Gideon and said, I want you to be the man. God had a perspective that Gideon was unable to... See, but I think God begins to teach him and, and, and show him there's something else in Gideon that he needs to view. Next, let's look at the verse number 13 and consider God's economy. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, listen to what he, he's saying. Just think about the, the hopelessness in his ideas. He says, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Imagine this just hopelessness. He said, I, I know, and I just think about the fact that he's talking to this angel. And he says, If God's really for us, why has he forsaken us? He said, I know my, my parents, my fathers, they told me. They came out of Egypt. They went across the Red Sea. God delivered them. God saved them. God spared them. If God is this God that they speak of, why are we in bondage? See, he failed to recognize the fact that God, for one, hadn't forsaken them. Instead, they'd forsaken God. He failed to recognize God was seeing all these things. He had seen the Midianites enter in. He had seen the crops destroyed. He had seen Gideon hiding with his wheat, threshing it beside, behind the wine press. He was in view of all these things because God was still in control. God hadn't changed his authority. God hadn't changed his seat. 
God was still in heaven looking down. He was still ruling. He was still reigning in spite of all the problems that were taking place. I think sometimes in our day and age we, we look around and, and it doesn't take long to see the chaos, to see the, just the God-forsaken society we're living in, seeing the depravity of man and the push away from godliness and holiness and morality. And sometimes it's easy for us to just step back and think, is God, does God know what's going on? Does God, does God care? We sang that song the other night, does Jesus care? And that, that can be a real question that some people have. We may not talk about it in church. You may not stand up in a testimony time and say, you know, I'm really questioning whether or not God cares. But sometimes when we're going through the trials, when we're going through the difficulty, when we look at all the problems around us, when we experience pain and heartache, there's a temptation to wonder, does God really know? Does God really see? Does God really care? Can I remind you, though, that God knew all about this situation? He had heard their cry. In, in fact, he, the, the, he's in the middle of trying to bring about deliverance. And he wants to use Gideon. And Gideon is still struggling to see the big picture. He's not really seeing that God is... He's talking to an angel, which he doesn't know it yet. If you, as we read the rest of the, the chapter, you, you'd find that. He doesn't even understand that he's speaking to an angel. Maybe that's why he's speaking so plainly and bluntly. But he's speaking as this angel, and he's failed to recognize the angel. He's failed to recognize that God's in charge. He's doubting. He's questioning things. But God is the same God here as he's always been. I'm reminded of the words of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. You remember that phrase he told his brothers when he said, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. Decades later, after he'd been sold into slavery, after he had been lied about, mistreated, imprisoned, forsaken, and forgotten. He said, all those things befell me, but God meant it all for good. God had a plan. God's economy was still thriving. There, there, there wasn't a recession in heaven. There, there wasn't panic in heaven. God was still overseeing even what looked like misfortune. I think about David and his life as he was hunted by Saul, trying to, as Saul tried to kill him and destroy him. I think about all the battles he faced and the, uh, the, the, the family issues he had and Absalom raising up against him and trying to steal the kingdom. Yet as an old man, David tells us in 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one, he gives us this phrase, his way is perfect. God's way is perfect. It's complete. It's finished. There's perfection to it. We may not see it now, but God's way is perfect. He's still present. He's not the I was. He's not the I will be. He's the I am. And in our day, in our generation, he's present with us. And it's important for us to see the economy of God. Look there in verse number 14. It says, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? We see two things here, and I'm going to combine them, although they stand alone but require one another to make any sense. And that's, first of all, the message and the messenger. God has a message, and God has a messenger who we could call the deliverer. They stand alone, but they require one another. 
As the message needs a messenger, so the messenger needs a message. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 10, a familiar portion of scripture to most of us. And frequently we hear missionaries read <clears throat> from these verses. Romans chapter 10, the, the verses leading up to this, often we uh, call this part of the Romans road. As 13 in, or finishes part of that by saying, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then in verse number 14 we see <clears throat> a very important message to believers. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the, gospels of peace, the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. We see the, the, the messenger, he's unique for his calling. We see he's responsible for his field. We see he's equipped for his duty. As we sang that song a little bit ago, I'll go where you want me to go. Sometimes we sing that as a, in a missions conference, as a theme song. But in reality, it ought to be a daily song that we could sing throughout the workday, throughout our family events, throughout the Sunday morning service, where we're looking for things that we could do to push forward the message of Christ to invite the message of Christ to others. And that's not always even witnessing. Sometimes that is just showing kindness. Sometimes that is helping your neighbor. Sometimes that is just finding someone who's down and trying to bring them up or show kindness to them. We see the messenger. Gideon was very fearful. He was faithless. He was doubting. Think of Moses. Had the same bit of trepidation when... God called him to go to Pharaoh. I think about Saul and his great humility as he hid from the um, place of, uh, of the throne. He, he, he desired not to be king and he went and hid when it was time for him to be anointed king of, of Israel. I think of the disciples. If you're still in Romans, turn just over to Luke chapter number 24, <clears throat> the last chapter in Luke. This is just after Jesus had risen from the dead. He walks with those two men and speaks with them. <clears throat> in the middle of the chapter. And then in verse number 36. Luke 24, 36. It says, and they thus as they thus spake. This is now all the, 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 the disciples together. Maybe a couple more. It says, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Listen to this. But they were terrified and affrightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do, you, your, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? We don't know what all their thoughts were, but the fact that he's questioning them doesn't tell us they were positive thoughts. Verse 39 says, Behold my hands and my feet... It is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, and ye see me, uh, and ye see me um, have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wonder, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And then look down in verse 45 to these unbelieving, fearful, 
questioning believers. He opened up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Look at this verse 48. And ye are witnesses of these things. As I'm reading that, I just had this picture of a, of a CEO of a company, and he takes a manager in, and he says, here's your crew. These fearful, doubting, pessimistic, skeptical people. Here, here, here's, here's all I got. This is, this is the best. This is the cream of the crop. God said to these people, you're my witnesses. Right now you think you're doubting, you think you're fearful, but I have a, I have a, I have a message for you, and you're going to be my messengers. I think it's important for us to realize as we take this journey, we see God's goodness, we see God's commands, the things he puts in our life are good for us. We see his economy, we see that he's in control. We see that he has a message. And then we see that he wants us to be his messengers. I'm sure there are people here tonight that if you were honest, you would say in some form or fashion, I just can't do what God wants me to do. Or there's really nothing that God wants me to do. Or, I, you know, I think I'm doing enough of what God wants me to do. And we want to justify, we want to say I can't, we, we, we want to say it's too late. I preached a message to the folks in the nursing home the other day. I love the passage in Joshua where it talks about Caleb as an 85-year-old man. When he goes to Joshua and he says, you remember, Moses promised me a piece of ground. He promised both of us we'd make it here. And it's been 45 years since that promise. We're finally here. And then he gives the statement of a man in his prime when he says, give me that mountain. He said, I may be 85, but I'm not done pursuing the things of God. I'm not done being his messenger. I'm not done being his servant. I'm going to keep pursuing the things of God. For all of us in here today, there's a, there's a task for us to do. God has things in our life that he wants of us. There are areas of our life that maybe you've taken back or never surrendered. God wants those things too. God desires us to be surrendered to him and willing to do whatever and whenever. And if you're questioning, well, I don't know if I really like that plan. You failed to go. We need to go back to point number one. God's good and his ways are good and his commands are good. See, Gideon, the angel said, and the, the prophet said to the people, you, the, the God of Israel is a good God, and his commandments aren't grievous. They're to help you and protect you and keep the Midianites off your back. He's still in control. He still has a plan, and he wants to use you, Gideon. He has a message for you to take. Are you ready to follow? And if, if, if you have doubts, look back at the past of Israel. Let's just rewind this. Where where did we start from? We started from bondage. We started from fear. We started with the feeling that there's no purpose in life for these people. They're hiding in rocks and caves. They're hiding from the enemy because they're hopeless. What a hopeless generation we're living in. And the hope, hopelessness ultimately comes from a lack of understanding that God has a plan for your life. 
The message or the calling is specific for the individual. It's direct for the opportunities. And it's required for growth and blessing. Which leads us to our final point. In verse number 16. When God had finally prepped Gideon and prepared him... In his mind and his spirit, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. He said, I'm going to give you such a victory, you're going to think you're fighting against one man. And if you read chapter 7, it's about how, how it happened. God put a fear into the Midianites and a panic, and God literally allowed the Midianites to kill themselves out of fear and panic. We find at the end of this journey, as we understand these things and we trust God and we begin to obey Him and take out His message, we find this is the place of blessing. This is the place where God's able to use us to be a deliverer to others. The bondage that man finds himself in, the bondage that marriages are in, the bondage that families are in, the bondage sometimes that churches are in. God wants to use a person who's followed this journey, that's followed these steps, and is now in a place where he's just openly surrendered to God. Says, God, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to do, go. I'll say what you would want me to say. This is where blessing is. This is where power is. This is where the promises of God are. This is where the victory of the believer is. So many believers, they, they find themselves back in bondage. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, he says, Who's bewitched you? You've gone back into the, 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 the cloak of bondage. You've, you, you, you've basically put back the chains of the old nature on. He said, what are you doing? You're free in Christ. You have freedom. You have victory. But you've chosen the bondage of sin. So many believers even, they fail to find themselves in, in the will of God and receiving the will of God and obeying the will of God. And thus they find themselves in a place where they're back in bondage because they're, they're just as enslaved with sin now as they were prior to salvation. The only difference is the great deliverer lives within them, but they've refused to receive his deliverance. We enjoy the deliverance and are able to lead others out of bondage. As we understand the goodness of God... We see the commands of God, that, that they're good also. We begin to see God's perspective and how he views us, how he views you, how he views our church, how he even views our nation. We see the economy of God. Don't ever forget, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of who is in the mayor's office, regardless of who is your boss, God's still in control. We see the message of God. There's a message of hope that he wants to allow us to present to others. We see us then as his messenger. And we have a willingness to serve this good God and take the message to others. And therein we find the blessings of God. Gideon would gladly, took a while, but he would finally come to a place where he gladly embraced this call to be a deliverer. And I pose the question to you, what, what will you do with God's request? Will you receive it as Gideon did, or you re, will you refuse it and continue where you are? Let's stand together and we'll...
stop right there. Gideon finds great victory. He finds release from the enemy. He finds hope. He finds purpose. And it was all found when he just finally let go and said, God, I'll do what you want me to do. Indeed, there are times in our life we make commitments. Pastor talked about that Sunday night. There are times where we, we might talk about giving our life to Christ, or making a full surrender. I think we ought to do that. But really, surrender is a daily practice where in the morning you give the day to God. You find yourself struggling with sin and you confess it and you forsake it. And right there, whether it be noon or evening or night, <coughs> you might have to make a recommitment and surrender to God. To many, that sounds like bondage. That sounds like this is too hard. But you find that's where real victory lies. That's where real hope lies. That's where the promises of God are revealed. I'm not saying I'm there or that I'm there all the time. But I can testify and say that's where I want to be. And I hope there are people tonight that, and I know that some of you do, you, you show that frequently. That's your desire, that's your passion. But as a church, what would happen is that if a, as a church, we pursued a place where full surrender was our desire... That God, God might take us and use us to be deliverers in our community, in our nation, even in our world. Father, we thank you for the truths of Scripture. I pray that you would help me to receive these things and follow them. And Lord, help us as a church that we would encourage one another, provoke one another to righteousness, and that we would desire to Redeem others from the bonds of Satan and sin. And Lord, if there'd be people here tonight that maybe you've convicted of their own sin and their need for salvation, I pray you would give them the courage to be willing to go and talk to someone or come forward and make that decision and find victory over their sin and receive salvation. And for all of us who are saved, may we truly commit ourselves to you tonight that you might use us. Amen.